podcast. Taste of the Ether here from the salubrious confines of the Fortress of Prupitude, or the Porpoise of Fruititude, located somewhere in Western California. Uh, what a beautiful day it is here in L.A. Uh, the weather is um, a chilly 78 degrees. Um, we had one hot, really hot day, and everyone complained as if the world had come to an end, because we live in a sci-fi movie here in Los Angeles. The skies are on fire. There's giant wildfires all around us here. If you live in a war zone or a place with weather, I apologize again for talking about this, but this is the small world we live here in L.A. Everything in L.A. is an incremental victory, as I've discussed, whether I beat you to the stop sign or whether I cut you off of the road or whether I get to the checkout uh, counter before you do. Um, that's what L.A. is all about, um, beating your fellow man so that they feel a little worse about their lives. So welcome to the show. Once again, uh, we hope to join hands and join hearts and convene. And uh, make something out of this world together, you and I. Uh, if you're uh, driving right now, this is an awesome time to open up uh, that bottle of rum you've got under the seat and take a giant swig off it. If you're a child, this is a groovy, groovy time to eat three blue M&Ms right now. Of course, if you're in England, uh, a couple green Smarties will do. And if you're in Ireland, just do what you can. Uh, and like that, uh, Jennifer gave me this quote, as she does so often give me everything here. Um, this is from Genesis P. Orridge, who we talked about on the show before. We went to see his um, art exhibit at the top floor of the Buddhist Museum. I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the Rubin, uh, which is a, a sort of Tibetan Buddhist museum in New York City. And they'd given Genesis P. Orridge an art exhibit at the top. You remember talking about him. He was the one who had the enormous, um, uh, what was it, a, ba- a, a bear's head with knives in it or whatnot? Or wolf. It was. Thank you, everybody here. Ryan and Jennifer are here. By the way, someone wrote the other day, Ryan, and said, who is this Ryan you always refer to? I'm like, well, it's Ryan. He's uh, part of the crew here. Uh, we, we, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word producer because uh, we don't produce that much, really. It's more like encouragement. Uh, him and Matt, uh, who, of course, work on uh, Doug Loves Movies and uh, uh, Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo, so it's a very select group of podcasts that we belong to here. No, we're not one of the big boys. We're Corner Boutique. And that's why what we do is handcrafted and takes extra time. It's like ordering a pizza and you watch the guy put the cheese on it instead of taking it out of a box out of your refrigerator and hating your life because you're drunk and your friends don't like you anymore and you've just been watching TV for three days and you really should clean up and maybe maybe put something on beside a baseball cap. Anyways, Genesis uh, had that wolf head with the uh, knives in it and of course that and fabulous collection of uh, found things that he had encouraged people to bring to the museum uh, that were like a matchbooks and buttons and whatnot, uh, cigarette butts, and he had put them all in tiny uh, uh, cubicles. Um, that was one of his exhibits. The telephone call that you took from him, you may remember me speaking about this. Genesis, of course, was in the group Throbbing Gristle, uh, which had Chris and Cozy in it, and um, Sleazy, um, who am I forgetting? Peter and Peter Christoph, who's Sleazy. Um, Genesis says, uh, um, doesn't... Uh, identify as a man or a woman now i believe he's in an inter uh, zone where i think we're calling him sure pandrogeny uh oh yeah no we're breaking boundaries here anyway this is uh, what genesis said and it's a beautiful thing and it's going to be the slogan of the show today even if the world outside's destroying itself and fragmented and paranoid and fearful the job of the artist is to embrace and hold people and say it's okay be safe here i couldn't agree more so i'm saying to all of you on behalf of genesis and uh, jennifer and ryan which one's ryan uh uh, be safe here. It's okay. Uh, we're going to be all right for the next hour, hour and a half, three, four hours, whatever it takes to get through this together. Hold me. Hold me. That's all I want. I'm cold. But you said it was 78 degrees outside. Yeah, but I got a lot of air conditioning going on in the porpoise. Uh, here's something that Oliver Willis, uh, who's on Twitter, he goes by the Twitter handle of at O Willis. Um, it's a little bit about the election here. Yeah, there's going to be funny before we get into the Trump and Crump and everything else that's happening. Uh, but uh, I wanted to read these because I thought they were so spot on. I'm kind of bored with the media doing every election through the lens of what do white guys think? And the fact that the media is mostly white, mostly male plays right into this myopia. We're on the verge of a third election in a row where the candidate preferred by white males is likely to lose and the media is missing that um i couldn't agree more um the 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 white guy paradigm that you see on telly and that you read on the internet let's be honest uh, is an unbreakable unshakable uh, formidable bulwark uh, that white people have built up over the years and um you've seen john mccain lose to a black man you've seen mitt romney lose to a black man and uh, we're fixing we hope uh, to see the crump uh hindenburg pretty hard uh against the hillcat and 
the, the media never really talks about that. As we discuss so often on the show, the best part of America is living right now. Imagine if you were a 10-year-old or imagine if you were even a 12-year-old. Um, You've only known a black president in your life. And then if a woman wins, you'll have only had a black president and a woman president in your life. So you won't be bound by the outdated bullshit that drags the rest of us down like Promethean chains. Uh, uh, the, the, the string of white guys that I've had to endure in my lifetime. Uh, Jennifer's much younger than me, so she doesn't remember much of the 80s. In any case, uh, uh, that, I think that's what makes America beautiful. Uh, uh, not uh, that, uh, oh my God, I can't believe a white guy's not winning. And uh, what did David Duke, the noted racist and uh, uh, apologist for the Ku Klux Klan uh, and former Grand Dragon, who's now a Republican. That'll give you an idea of where the Republican Party's heading. He's running for office as a Republican and no one's even going like, but you used to wear a hood. You were one of the people who like burned crosses on people's lawns. Well, if you didn't, you liked when it happened. Uh, it said that um, the problem with America is that we're not respecting European Americans' rights. Really? Um, yeah, we are. We are. Uh, and I'm a European-American, so I should know. Really, Greg, where do you come from? Europe. It's a beautiful city. It's right outside of Iceland. Uh, this is uh, Several people sent me this. I'm sorry that I can't remember the original person who sent it to me. I've gotten 17 emails. Jennifer gave it to me, and someone tweeted it to me a couple of weeks ago. Here's the headline. It might be the best headline ever in the history of mankind sex pigs halt traffic after laser attack on pokemon teens now let's just try to sort through this together you and i and everyone here i don't know what sex pigs are uh i don't know why they were halting traffic and i don't know what pokemon teens are i don't even want to say it really i feel like i'm gonna get arrested if i say it too much the fbi is gonna swoop down and go like you've been saying pokemon teen on your show quite a lot lately haven't you greg you've been hanging out at pete townsend's house it's all for research. Uh, let's just carry on. It's from a Swedish paper called The Local. Sex pigs halt traffic. The water wheel in Injon. How do you pronounce that? I-N-S-J umlaut over the O-N. Injon? Anyone speak Swedish? With a couple... Yes, I know. If you're listening in Sweden right now, you're like, yeah, I do, Greg. And I wish I could be there to tie your tongue with elderberries and feed you raw reindeer. <laughs> I've told you this story before, Avina. We were in Sweden uh, uh, years ago, uh, in Stavanger, Norway. Forgive me, Norwegians and F Swedes. We were in Stavanger, Norway uh, with the USO tour, and it was me and Drew Carey um, and uh, Jeff Davis, who you'll know from many stories on the show. And uh, um, what's her name? Uh, oh, kittens. I've just said Caitlin Olson, who you remember from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Jonathan Mangum, who you'll know from uh, Let's Make a Deal. Uh, and uh, Julie uh, Julie Larson, who's an old-time friend of ours, an improviser and a writer-producer. I'm trying to remember who else was in the group. And Jonathan Green, who's a very fun musician. We'd been touring Croatia and the, the Balkans uh, doing USO shows with Drew. And uh, then uh, we went to Amsterdam, and I took everyone into town. I believe I've told this story for a soiree of, of uh, a sortie uh, to a, a hash bar where there was also alcohol being served, and we hadn't eaten that much. In any case, we were very hard. Oh, and Sean Masterson, Sean Masterson, lest I forget him, who, uh, Cobra. Cobra, as he was known on the USO trips, because uh, he would turn to us and go, I just want to know one thing. Do we get to win this time? And it's like, we're in the USO. <laughs> we're, we're not fighting. Um, he, Sean always liked the USO trips because there was free banana milk at all the air bases, which he really enjoyed. I don't know why the banana milk was such an issue, but it was. And sometimes he, Sean would give us debriefings when we'd, we'd come into like a military building and all of a sudden a chair would swing around and Sean would be like, all right, <laughs> tonight we're going to Kosovo. And we'd all be like, okay, how did you get in charge? Um, the greatest time was we were in the Middle East uh, in um, uh, at a, an air base that didn't exist. A general came on that we were in Oman and we were on a bus, a bunch of comedians. And uh, there was a bunch of guys with uh, rocket launchers who fantastically laid their rocket launchers on the floor of the bus, which like really gives you an overwhelming sense of security. Oh my God, if a rocket hits us, they can pick up their rocket launchers and shoot back at it. Um, we were on the bus in Oman and uh, uh, the general came on the bus before we got to the base. And he said, we're 100 kilometers from the Yemeni border. That's all I can tell you. He said, by the way, everybody, this base doesn't exist. <laughs> and I'd never been debriefed like that, like in a spy way where like someone goes, the thing that's about to happen to you isn't happening, right? And you're supposed to do the mental gyrations that are required to go, you just said where we are doesn't exist. Now I've got to find the bathroom. So... 
but as Kierkegaard said, the self lies outside the self. So then I looked there and, and I looked at what is, was it Woody Allen's joke? He looked into the soul of the boy next to him. That's where I got, I failed metaphysics. Um, the, so he, he told us that then uh, uh, a bunch of Rangers got onto the um, bus and they had enormous automatic weapons and they were just big. They all look like the rock, right? You know, just these big strapping dudes and they go. Which one of you's Cobra? <laughs> they, someone had put them up to it, and it was hilarious. And he was cowering in the back of the bus at this point. Sean was like, oh, my God. And they, they, oh, that was a goodie. That one, and when he um, he fought the guard dogs at the end. They had the guard dogs uh, at the base in uh, Saudi Arabia. And we went to you know see them, train them and whatnot. And, of course, the guy who ran the German Shepherds at the air base had intermittent teeth and uh, some some rather gaudy vivid scars and uh, his job was to keep this wild pack of German shepherds uh, at fierce readiness and complete intense uh, um, straining at the leash uh, you know viciousness uh, to, to guard the perimeter of the air base in outside of uh, Riyadh and so we're there and uh, they take us out to meet them and this cat gives us the lowdown, right? And he's wearing a campaign hat, like with the front folded up. And it, he goes, well, now you got to watch out for these dogs. They're all right, but they're pretty well trained, right? And so the dog is standing there, and then he gives it a cue, right? And the dog goes, <laughs> right? And just goes into this insane, uh, uh, you know, completely poised to attack. So he gives, he, we go, well, how does it work? And he's like, well, they don't go, you know, for your arms or legs. For the most part, they go for the crotch because that's what will stop a, a person coming across the perimeter. And uh, then uh, he goes, but you can, you know, y'all can tangle with one if you want. And we're all like, no, that's that's cool. And Sean goes, I'll do it. And they gave him a, a, a you know, like a fake uh, padded arm thingy that you wear on your arm. And like, first of all, I could think of was, are you sure the dog knows the different signal between <laughs> jumping for the crotch and jumping for the arm, right? So Sean puts the thing on and he stands there and the guy goes, all right, boy. And the dog, <laughs> and then he go and the dog leaps up and rips the thing off Sean's arm, right? Like, and I mean like, <laughs> and we're all standing there like 10 yards, you know, right in a circle around him. Like, oh my God, right? Then, of course, we did a video, and Sean goes, it really worked. And then he's got half of an arm and all that. Um, he was brassy, brassy in the field. Um, there was a point to this story, and I, I'm almost certain I remember what it was. So we go to Norway, and uh, we've been in Amsterdam. Thank you. We've been in Amsterdam for uh, – there's a lot of complaints lately about, well, how come you can't remember what you're talking about? You know what? Uh, so we go to we, – we're in Amsterdam. We get very high. I take everybody back. We get in the plane uh, and we we fly to Stavanger, and it, there's no uh, customs, there's no passport control. When you and Jennifer will back me up on this, we, we were there a couple of years ago. When you get off the plane in Norway, you're in Norway. You just go get your bags and get in a cab, and that's it. Norway, here we come, or Oslo, or whatever. But we landed in Stavanger, which is a very oil-rich kind of cutesy pie town, really cutesy pie. It looked like uh, Heidi, you know what I mean? It had little roofy places and. Um, there's another story that I won't tell you. Anyways, um, we we get there and we go to dinner and we're exhausted. We've been traveling all day. We got up early the night before because we flew from uh, um, we flew from what's the bloody capital Macedonia Skopje. We we flew from Skopje and we got up before dawn and we're on the bus at like four in the morning or whatever. Anyway, mind you, we're not fighting in a war. We're just comedians. I'm not complaining that much. It was just a long day, and we've been high and drunk in the middle of the day. Now we get to Norway, and they're like, hey, we're all going to go to dinner. They're, the local military guys who are looking after us are going to take us to dinner. So they took us to a traditional Norwegian place. And on the menu was reindeer, uh, red deer, and um, uh, everything with lingonberries. You know, it was, you know, Scandinavian food. This is early 2000s. It's progressed since then, but this was Scandinavian food then. And horse is on the menu. And... Um, we all order what we order. I, I think I got red deer with lingonberries. Uh, Jeff Davis got the choreographer's plate, of course. You know, some local cheeses and some crackers and a, a doily. And uh, 
Then after the meal, the next day we're, we're conferring and Jeff goes, do you realize how tired we were? And I went, what do you mean? He goes, it was a table full of comedians and no one said, I'm so hungry <laughs> that I could eat a horse and the horse was on the menu. So having said that, I don't know what the name of this town is, but it's called, it's spelled I N S J umlaut over the O N in Sion where the, I've given it a terrible pronunciation where the couple were having sex sex pigs halt traffic uh, tiny Incheon in central Sweden isn't known for pig mask wearing couples shooting lasers at Pokemon hunters before, before having sex by a water wheel but that could be about to change uh, that is the strangest lead why would you write it that way I love it oh by the way other articles in this paper since I hadn't uh, erased them here Swedish police, quote, arrest kids at birthday party, drunk night in armor detained in Stockholm. And then this one, I don't, I wish I'd clicked on it because I'd have just seen it for the first time now. Will Ferrell feels the wrath of Swedish chimney sweep. <laughs> Is this fjords of glory? Wow. Those are good headlines. I got to go back and read this paper. It was Friday night in the village. It was Friday night in the village of 2,000 souls when two teenage siblings wandered out with their smartphones to play Pokemon Go. But instead of finding Pikachu or Squirtle, they came face to face in the park with a couple who must have seemed scarcely more real. The teenager's mother, who reported the incident to the police, told the newspaper, and her name was, or it's, or it's the newspaper, I can't figure this out, Jalarnas Tidniger. They wore rubber masks depicting pigs' heads and they started screaming and waving a green laser. Let me just go back over that. A lot of us might have missed the details on that one there. The kids were out to play Pokemon Go with their smartphones outside the quiet town of uh, 2,000 souls when suddenly two people wearing rubber masks depicting pig's heads started screaming and waving a green laser. A laser beam hit one of the teens in the face and the children rushed back home, shaken but luckily unharmed. Oh my God, can you imagine a laser attack in the middle of nowhere in Norway with people wearing pig masks? What are, what are the chances? The mass shooters who also wore t-shirts labeled king and queen. This getting better and better. Wow. You know what? I don't know what you're doing this weekend. I really don't. Well, you got to change your plans. We got to go get some teas made. We got to get some masks together. I don't even know where you get a green laser. The only ones I've ever seen in public are the ones the assholes use in the movie theaters when they point the red laser at the screen. I don't know where you get a green one. Maybe there. Maybe you can get them in uh, Sweden. Uh, we're spotted by an incredulous by incredulous motorists, which, by the way, is the name of my next album. Uh, it's going to come. I'm going to record it in San Francisco this uh, uh, New Year's. We're going to do another album, and it's going to be called Incredulous Motorists. And on the cover are going to be two people wearing King and Queen T-shirts with pig masks on, shooting someone playing Pokemon as they run with a green laser in the head. You will not be unharmed. No one will be unharmed during the seating the seating uh, arrangements of my next album. Uh, as they had sex beside the Hamlet's water wheel. It must be a small town if it still has a water wheel. Is it a working water wheel? Obviously. I think it is. Traffic backed up on the highway as some drivers slowed down and others clambered out of their cars to behold the bizarre spectacle. One motorist told the paper, When I die, um, please... Please come up with a better title for me. I know that I've said I wanted to be American tough guy, and I know that we've discussed a uh, you know, millionaire philanthropist and sexy playboy and all that, but I don't want to be described as a motorist upon my passing. Please give me something more highfalutin than that. I want to aspire to higher rank than motorist. Um, if I'm quoted in the paper, don't quote motorist. Greg Proop said, how about comedian slash motorist? Uh... Uh, this says traffic backed up on the highway. There's only 2,000 people that live there. My guess is traffic didn't back up that much. My guess is a couple people pulled over to the side to watch people in pig masks have at it next to a water wheel. You know what? I don't blame them. I would too. If I saw two people wearing king and queen shirts in pig masks having it off next to a water wheel, I would st it would give me pause. It would give me hooves. The police didn't care so much about the traffic jam, she said. But Officer Daniel Hogthorpe was concerned about the alleged laser attack and public sex. You know what? I am too, but in the opposite way. I'm concerned more about public sex than I am. What was it? Laser attacks. I find that laser attacks only happen generally in uh, sci-fi movies. I've never really seen a laser attack. I've never been attacked by a laser. I've been bored. 
uh, with uh, at a Lazarium show and when I was a teenager in the 70s, uh, speaking of Pink Floyd. Uh, the one in San Francisco at Golden Gate Park, we've discussed it before, we used to drive up, we get high, uh, would play, uh, which Pink Floyd song was it? Um, oh, I think I have it. Why, why talk about it? Don't dream it, be it. Uh, I believe I have the song they would play. They would also play a, a really bitching song by Cal Jader. Was it that album? Yeah, it's this one. Um, this Pink Floyd song is, I don't, talk about taking the show down a notch. If you have any psychedelic drugs on you right now, this is an awesome time to take them. In fact, you should have taken them 45 minutes ago, but this song's about to kick in. I don't think you could describe this song as Pink Floyd song as taking off. Yeah, it just kind of is there in a Buddhist way. It's called Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. Oh, they're singing. So we would go to Lazarium and they'd play that. Um, and then... They would also play this bitching one that I'm going to play for you right now. You'll recognize the... T oh, by the way, there's the singing. Can I ask where you're recording from? Are you near a highway by a water wheel wearing a pig mask? Because I can't fucking make out what you're saying. What are you saying? Talk about being recorded in a coffee can from a mile away. I love it. Woo! It's very good. Um, oh, that's that's from a collection. It's not from Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I, I honestly can't tell you what album it's off of. Then they would play this one, which was really good. Cal Jader was a vibraphonist, as we like to say. A vibraphonist, much like Bobby Hutcherson, who we'll get to. Um, this is his version of Gimme Shelter by the Stones. <laughs> This was the opening song at Lazarium. Remember the 70s, you guys? Is there enough wah-wah synth and... Very good. Cal Jader must be long gone. Ooh, the storm is broken. Uh, pointing at someone with a green laser can cause injury if it hits the eyes, he told the newspaper Delanus Tid Nigar. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, having sex near a water wheel can be a very soggy experience. Uh, I prefer a flour mill um, or any other kind of uh, apparatus from the Middle Ages. Um, thank you, everyone who sent me that story. I think it was brilliant. Oh, this one's too depressing. Let's move on to the next one here. Uh, let's talk about the Olympics a little bit. Since the Olympics are going on this week and so many groovy things have happened, uh, you saw Usain Bolt. Uh, he's so far, uh, as of this recording, he's won the 100-meter and the 200-meter handily. And we saw him interviewed last night. And by the way, the NBC crew is doing a terrific job of not providing any information and being vague and dis diffuse. Um, you'll never get introduced to all the runners in a race as long as there's an American on the pitch in Brazil. Um, NBC has taken a vow to be the least informative network in the history of mankind. I urge you to go online. The online reporters tend to be British and Australian. Um, if you live in Canada, good for you. Or if you live in England, good for you. Because I'm sure the coverage is much better. I've watched the Olympics in Britain and Canada. And they actually go through every heat one by one. They name every athlete. They give you a little bio on them. You could be watching a, a, a gold medal event on NBC and they're like, well, here's the American. And then they finish fifth and they don't show you the winner. And they go, an American finished fifth. And then they interview the American and you're like, it's the Olympics. It's the one time we get to see people from Djibouti and Benin. This is the only time we go, oh, look, someone from Nepal. Well, no one from Nepal, but you know what I mean? You get the idea. Does Nepal have an Olympic team? Are they? Yeah. That was unfair of me. I'm sure there's great Nepalese Olympians, which is the name of my third album after <laughs> occluded motorists or whatever it was, or oculists. <laughs> Superb Nepalese Olympian is uh, a, one of the most delicious cheeses you'll ever, <laughs> you'll ever have. It's redolent of uh, prayer wheels and incense. Um, Usain Bolt uh, uh, did a dance that wasn't shown on NBC that was kind of a skippy, skippy doodle, Tiberi shuffle rap dance. It was really good. Uh, he always wears two flags now, which is fantastic, Brazil and Jamaica. 
Um, if you don't know who he is and you haven't seen him, oh my God, you've got to before he's done. I think he's got one more race and then it's Retirement Village. Um, not that he's going to retire. I'm sure he'll have his own um, posse. Uh, he'll have a boat of chicks that he just sails the world with. Uh, he's such a great runner. And uh, I think at this point we can safely say, and I don't think I've ever said this because uh, you know me, hyperbole is way beyond my kin. Uh, that he might be the fastest person that ever lived. I don't know how else to put it. Certainly in our TV era and certainly in the Olympic era, which is, goes back to 1896, I don't think any Olympian, the, the New York Times keeps running a chart of how far ahead he is of everyone who ever won the 100 meters or the 200 meters. And he's way far ahead. And evidently, it's not just the fact that he's quite tall, but 6'5". It's the way his ankles and feet hit the ground and the mechanics of it all. It's really outrageous. Um, he didn't set a world record last night. And after the race, he said he was uh, disappointed in himself that he had only won at this point it's his seventh gold medal eighth 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 gold medal in three Olympic games three consecutive Olympic games he's won the 100 200 and the four by 100 four by 100 uh, that many times and uh, no one else has done it no one's even come close no one's even dreamed of it uh, the only people with as many track and field medals as him uh, are Pablo Nermi and uh, uh, the magic Carl Lewis, who we've discussed on the show before. Um, so he said he was disappointed that he didn't run faster. And it was because um, Justin Gatlin uh, of the American team didn't qualify for the 200, who really paced him in the 100. Uh, in any case, his personality is absolutely delightful. And as Jennifer has been saying all week, what are we going to do with the Olympics when... Usain Bolt's not there anymore to dance and sing and jump up and down and whip the crowd into a tizzy and be the complete main event of a worldwide, uh, you know, you don't get that many Muhammad Ali's. You don't get that many uh, uh, Pele's or Billie Jean King's. You don't get that many athletes that, what did Leo DeRocher say about Willie Mays? He said, um, he can hit, he can run, he can hit with power, he can throw. If he could cook, I'd marry him. But the other thing he said is, the other thing is, Willie Mays lights up a room when he walks into it. And um, if you, I've only seen a few stars in my life that light up a room. Will Smith, being around Will Smith, um, when he walks into the room, everybody went, oh, yeah, oh, you know, like uh, Robin Williams, decidedly. Uh, Lily Tomlin, but in a way more low-key way. I think people were excited by Lily Tomlin, but it wasn't a, a seismic shock to the solar plexus the way being around Usain Bolt was. Uh, I've never been around him in person, but I'm thrilled just watching him through the television glass. Uh, does your TV have glass on it? Yeah, it's an aquarium. It has fish in it, too. Usain Bolt is the world's fastest man. He's built an empire, according to this article my wife gave me. Usain Bolt is more than a veteran, Olymp veteran Olympic star. Um, he has deals with Puma, Nissan, Hublot, Visa, Virgin Media, DDDD. Uh, Gatorade named a drink after him. Uh, his trademark lightning bolt pose. He even has an emoji. He's talked about playing for Man U, being a broadcaster and designing apparel a la Michael Jordan, says Elizabeth Limsey, a marking expert at Wasserman. He holds the record for 100 and 200 meters and has been to four Olympics and has seven gold medals, eight after last night. Jeff Kearney, the head of Gatorade's marketing department, explained, we have an incredible roster of great athletes, da, da, da. But this is um, what I wanted to get to. His vivacious and engaging demeanor is so appealing to U.S. brands uh, that the Jamaican runner even stars in U.S.-based Olympic ads opposite members of Team USA. That's what I wanted to get to. They were showing the preview last night, and they play the song, bum, 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 bum. And it's always Katie Ledecky and Michael Phelps, as it should be. And then Usain Bolt. And like, we're so American-centric. We're so parochial. We're so guarded. We're so suspicious of the other in America. We never embrace it. The, the hating on French people is hilarious. There's no America without French people. They paid for the revolution, you guys. We wouldn't have won, all right? Let me, let me just put it on the fucking line for you. Without their Franks and without their training, we would not have won the revolution. But I thought a bunch of guys had squirrel rifles. Yeah, I know what you thought. I've seen how you think. You have a tire swing. <sighs> so, but they show Usain Bolt because uh, he's really transcendent and he's an international uh, snooper star. And I, I love him for that. Uh, further than that, his personality is magnificent. He's friendly to uh, man and child, uh, woman and girl, everybody. He's a... Uh, um, he hands out swag. You can watch videos of him giving his cap to people on the field. He's always uh, tapping the other runners and, and giving them love and holding them. And uh, he's just a tremendous uh, individual. This is what I wanted to read to you because I think it's really beautiful. 
Uh, Bolt may know his worth, uh, but he um, gives back to his Jamaica-based foundation. In 2015, Bolt gave $1.3 million to his former high school, along with soccer and cricket gear. He also, he's a Man U, he's a huge Man U fan, but he also wanted to be a cricketer, I think. Which I love. When you're the... Right? How do, well, the, the Caribbean, the Caribbean's divided into two parts, as you know. Uh, there's the islands that Americans got to, and that would be Cuba, which we invaded. <laughs> That's why we got to it first. Uh, 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 the Dominican Republic. And then, uh, of course, there's all the French and British islands. And all the French islands play football, and all the British islands play cricket, and all the American islands play baseball. So uh, it's a hotbed of exciting sports people. Uh, the Jamaican uh, track team is... Got the greatest track team in the world. How many people live in Jamaica? You know, a million, half a million, two million. And uh, we have 300 million people in the United States and their track team is uh, formidable. He provided the school with track and field equipment since he signed with Puma in 2002. He opened a multi-sport playing field in Jamaica, raised funds for pediatric cardiac surgeries and partnered with Samsung to provide photography workshop workshops to students. He paid $4 million, uh, renovation to a local health center using the proceeds from a party he threw to celebrate breaking the 100-meter world record. He's a right guy. Uh, getting to that, how many? $3 million. Close to $3 million. Wow. Come back to Jamaica. Uh, oh, Jamaica. Jamaica's so much fun. Um, and this is not going to seem uh, uh, surprising to anyone. If you go to Jamaica, first of all, you'll find that the people are wildly engaging and attractive and have a terrific sense of humor um it's very easy to score weed there you can score weed in the walk from the car to your room let me put it that way they're very very friendly and accommodating that way um this this version is a freddie notes and the rudy's yeah Fantastic record. Uh, the women of this uh, Olympics keep uh, being the story, in my opinion, very much so. Um, not just um, uh, the American women, but women from all over the world. Um, uh, Saudi women, Fiji women, um, uh, Puerto Rican women. It, it's been a sensational Olympics for the women. Uh, NBC wouldn't know because they cut away a lot. If they smell a uterus on screen, it's over. Uh, no, they've gotten a little bit better this week, a little bit better. Obviously, the final five, are we calling them? They, they couldn't take the Fab Five, and they couldn't take the... There's a bunch of names that were taken. Uh, so now I believe they're the final five. Uh, they scored 5,000 medals, and they're just dominant, and it's awesome. And uh, what is um, uh, Simone saying now? Um, just call me Mrs. Zac Efron already, which is beautiful. Zac Efron flew down to flirt with them and take pictures with them and kiss them, and you have to love him for that. I kind of do. Um, Katie Ledecky, she had an 11-second win. Uh, we discussed it last week. In her race, the 800-meter freestyle, Katie Ledecky actually touched the uh, other side of the pool and was coming back while all the other swimmers were going the other way. That's how far her lead was. Um, let's see here. It was a head-shaking uh, 804.79 and winning by more than 11 seconds over the silver. If you take the margin of victory, yes, please. In every single men's race in Rio, the combined time is 6.66 seconds. Ledecky's margin, 11.38. Ledecky won the gold medal in the 800 in London. Her time was 10 seconds faster in Rio. Up until 76, no man had ever gone faster than her. Thank you. Janet Evans lowered the 800 free record by eight and a half seconds in 89. It took 19 years for anyone to break her record, and they did it by two seconds. Katie broke that record and has already lowered it by 10 seconds. Now this says, read that again and let it sink in. We've gone from lowering the record by eight and a half seconds, 19 years later, it was two seconds. She broke that record and lowered it by 10 seconds. It's astounding. Um, Bolt will run the 100 meters or has run the 100 meters in the time it took the second place swimmer to touch the side after Ledecky finished. Uh, let's see. Uh, the time would have been 29th at the 200, 2015 World Championships in Russia in the men's competition. Ledecky's, uh, since 2000, the men's 1500 gold medalists have finished ahead of their respective silver medalists by nine seconds combined. Ledecky won by 11. In Athens, the winning time in the 800 was 8.2454, 20 seconds slower. Athens was 2004, kids. This was the second meter of the 800 meter race. It's the last time she would trail. Oh, there's a picture over there. Yeah. 
Six feet in, she was back. At the end, she lapped the field. Uh, let's see here. Uh, more Olympics, please. I'll go back to these horrible stories. Here's one about some women in the Olympics. Oh, well, the Olympics medal, uh, um, women's hurdling team finished one, two, three, and uh, and had the most beautiful picture of them all jumping into the air together with their flags on. Uh, Allison Felix, as of this uh, broadcast, hasn't run her uh, uh, relay, but they were reinstated and they're running it tomorrow, tonight. I think we're watching it tonight. Uh, yeah, that's what we do around the crib. Let's see here. This is from the BBC. A female Iranian activist who held a protest banner during a volleyball match was asked to leave and take it down by security. Darya Safai Sanreed let Iranian women enter their stadiums. Women have generally been banned or restricted from attending all-male sports events in Iran since shortly after the Islamic Revolution in 79. The IOC bans political statements at the games. One thing they don't ban, though, is massive corporate sponsorship and graft. Uh, I think you'll find the IOC has taken more graft and had more corporate sponsors than you've had hot bowls of soup in your life. Um, but heaven forbid uh, polit- politics should enter into it. Everything's political. Sexual politics, gender politics, uh, po- political politics, uh, nationwide politics, and Egyptian uh a uh, ju- judo player refused to shake an Israeli's hand. How is that not political? Uh, when John Carlos and Tommy Smith did the Black Power Saloon in 68, the Olympics, like the Oscars, pretend that they're this big show business event, but it's a backdrop for the world. Athletes live in the world like the rest of us. They're human beings. Some of them are drug addicts. Some of them are gay. Some of them are different colors than you. Uh, it's an exciting world full of stuff going on. I love that the Olympics thinks it can be this prissy little whatever. Uh, when you see some of the Olympic spokesmen, too, wow. Talk about old privileged white guys sitting in a room with a picture of baby Brundage, Avery Brundage tattooed across their mansack. After she refused to leave security, you can look him up. He's played by Jeremy Irons in the uh, Jesse Owens movie. I'd like to start an Olympic committee. My God, Owens, you're very, very fast indeed. After she refused to leave, security staff abandoned their attempts to remove her, and she carried on holding up the banner the rest of the game. She says she plans to attend all of Iran's uh, volleyball matches. Uh, She was born in Iran but lives in Belgium, held her protest on Saturday at a men's preliminary. She seemed to smile throughout the protest. She did burst into tears when they came for her. I'm so sorry. What I'm fighting for is the right for Iranian women to be at matches. It's my right to be here. It's the basic right of Iranian women. I couldn't agree more. Iran is a very sophisticated uh, nation that's given the entire world uh, dessert and poetry. Uh, Omar Khayyam and uh, uh, Cyrus the Great and uh, uh, an enormous amount of literature here in Los Angeles were awash uh, in Iranian culture. Uh, you can go over to Westwood and eat Iranian food and see Iranian movies. They're brilliant filmmakers. It's, uh, I'm so chuffed that one of uh, Obama's greatest accomplishments is making peace with them and um, getting them to uh, cool back and scale down on their nuclear program because it's high time uh, that we were friends with Iran and embraced them. It's also high time uh, that they let women into their sporting events and stopped um, segregating them. Uh-huh. All Olympians are not young. I know that when you watch the gymnasts, you're like, oh my God, they look like they're 12 years old. However, uh, this, according to this article, no writing, I love newspaper writing, the lifespan for many sporting stars can be cruelly short. In professional fields, do people hitting 30 get described as veteran? But across the Olympics, there's proof that age need not be a barrier to competing at the highest level. Anthony Irvin, 35. He's a swimmer. 16 years on from winning the gold. And first of all, Justin Gatlin's 34. Usain Bolt turned 30, I believe, in this Olympics. Allison Felix is 31. I'm forgetting the name of the Jamaican runner. She's 33. Uh, This is the rise of the 30-year-old athlete in this Olympics. There's been a lot of medalists in their 30s, which is very exciting. Um, We have already told the story about it, Muhammad Ali. I had a book when I was little called, I can't remember the name of it. It had a green cover. You'll remember it. Uh, It was about Olympic athletes who won their gold medal before they were 21. When I was little, 21 was your majority. Now it's 18. 
when I was really little, it was 21. So it was like, basically, I was a teenage athlete was the premise of the book. And it was Bill Toomey and it was Muhammad Ali because Muhammad Ali, I think, was 19 or 20 when he won the gold. Shelly Ann Fraser Price, thank you very much. Shelly Ann Fraser Price is the one who's dyed her hair green and yellow and she'll be running against um, Allison Felix in the American 4 by 100 uh, relay team tonight. Uh, you'll watch at the beginning, all you'll see at the end of the race is Jamaica's yellow and green uniform and America's blue and white uniform coming toward that finish line. Barreling, uh, and uh, Muhammad Ali said when he won his gold medal uh, for boxing in the 1960 Olympics, Rome, uh, he slept on his back for the first time in his life because the medal would cut you. It was so heavy. And you've seen all the uh, uh, medals this year with the bite marks on them. Real pure gold is so soft you can bite it, and it dents. Right. That's why you always see in cartoons and old movies people bite a coin. That was the way you made sure a coin was made of pure gold in the old days. In Rome. Uh, yes, everything's Rome. Well, I said Rome in 1916. Yeah, the Olympics there. In Rome, uh, they, they, they used alloys like we do now. Like their pennies aren't made of copper, but once upon a time they were. And if you have any coins from before 1964 uh, made of silver, uh, Liberty Dimes or um, Buffalo Nickels, whatnot, um, the old quarter, those are almost pure silver. There are lots of silver in them, so they're quite valuable. Um, uh, in Rome, people clipped the edges of the coins to check for their... Uh, to see if they were authentic. And, uh, you know, people who were money changers and money lenders could, um, yes, the kind that Christ threw out of the temple, it's the same time period, um, could test to see whether the coins were, could be verified. And then they'd keep clipping them. Uh, you, the idea was to clip so many coins that you had enough to make your own coins out of it and boil them down. Uh, I saw a picture of someone's medal the other day, and I can't bloody remember. And there was so many bite marks in it. It was fantastic. It was one of the swimmers and they'd gone ar, 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 and chewed the end of it. And it was this beautiful gold medal on a, you know, on a lovely ribbon and it has bite marks all over it. I love that. I would bite my medal if I had a medal. I would bite your medal if you got your medal near me. You better hide it before I bite it. 16 years on from winning the gold medal at the 50 meal freestyle in Sydney, Anthony Irvin has reclaimed his title, becoming the Olympics oldest swimming champion at 35 his swimmer's burnout period in time uh, in between saw him pursue a love of rock music, battle personal demons, and even sell his first gold medal to charity. But he started to train again in 2011, making the London Olympics in 2012, and had a gold medal from the 4x100 event at Rio by the time he lined up on Friday night. On his latest gold, he said, I'm keeping it for now. Who knows what the future holds? Well done. 35 years old. Catherine Granger, 40, Great Britain, rowing. A silver alongside partner Victoria Thornley. Or is that Thornley? It would be Thornley, right? With a T-H. Uh, unless you were from south of the river. Then it'd be Vicky Thornley. Uh, Granger has become the team, uh, team GB's most decorated female Olympian. She won the gold uh, at the Le London Games after three attempts. She took two years off to study for a PhD. How accomplished do you have to be uh, to uh, win a silver medal in rowing? She has a PhD. She endured a difficult buildup to Rio with reports she and Thornley had fallen out and suggestions it might be, I love this line, this is British writing, and suggestions it might be a game's too far. <laughs> it's a 70s war movie. <laughs> a bridge too far. And all this she described her silver as her greatest achievement. There are no plans for a shot at Tokyo 2020. I won't put you through that again, she said to her parents. She's 40. Um, the most, uh, Oksana, Chuzvitina, 41, Uzbekistan, gymnastics, favors youth. Um, Ali Raisman, the captain of the conquering U.S. team, has the nickname Grandma. She's 22. The kids call her Grandma. Uh, Oksana Chuzvitina, who we watched play the other day, she first completed in 92 at Barcelona and has been at every game since. She made the vault finals in fifth place against some rivals who weren't born when she made her debut. When I was younger, I ran quicker and I ran and never got tired. Today, things are different. Now I train with my head. While we were watching her, as I recall, um, what team is she on now? She's on Uzbekistan, but she was on the Soviet team, was she not? When she was training as a teenager, because um, when the Soviet Union broke up, she had to move from the Soviet team to uh, the Uzbek team. And I think she played for another team before Uzbekistan as well. If I, am I wrong? When we were watching it, well, I'll get it all wrong, but someone can write me. Fucking write me an email about it, and we'll discuss her. Um, but she's fantastic. To watch a 41-year-old gymnast, um, and yes, her name is Oksana Chuzavitina. Uh, uh, Hong Zhang Ving from Vietnam, 41. 
uh, she's a shooter. She got the first Olympic gold in the men's. Uh, he got the first Olympic gold in the men's 10 meter air pistol event at the start of the game. He also won the silver in the men's 50 meter pistol. It delighted his home nation. Kristen Armstrong, 43, U.S. cycling. She won three golds, the consecutive golds in the same event. She was the oldest competitor in the event and has been in the sport long enough to retire twice. Her victory came before her 43rd birthday. She's a health advocate in Boise. Leslie Thompson Willis, 56, Canada, rowing. When she took her seat as Coxon, which is spelled C-O-X-S-W-A-I-N, with Canada's women eighth rowing team, she tied the record for most appearances by a woman at a games at eight. Eight Olympic games. They're every four years, you guys. The Coxon is the one who goes, stroke, stroke, stroke. Stroke into a weird little megaphone. That's what a coxswain does. Such a great title. It's redefining our society. We can keep going as long as we're acting. As long as we're active. As Satchel Page said, if you didn't know how, what your age, how old would you be? And he said, age ain't nothing but a number. And of course, my favorite, favorite, favorite one. I've said it once. I'll say it a million times. I'm 44. <laughs> Julie Brome, 62, New Zealand equestrian. There are several equestrian competitors in their 60s at Rio, but the oldest in sport and across the whole games is Julie Brome. It is her first Olympics, and she's only the third rider to represent New Zealand. She missed out on qualifi- uh, qualification in the dressage, finishing 44th. But with Japanese equestrian Harashi Hoketsu competing at the London Games at 71, she could still have another shot at glory next time. Uh, is is a... Uh, uh, um, uh, Haketsu, the oldest Olympian. You were going through this with before Jennifer at seventy-one. Is that the oldest person that ever played? No, there's a couple from the twenties or thirties <laughs> that played that played that were riders or shooters that played into their seventies. It's usually riding or shooting, which is fantastic. So there's hope for all of us, you guys. Hope for all of us. First of all, Bukowski's first book was published when he was his first novel at fifty-one. I think his first poems when he was in his twenties. No, I'm not going to bring up Grandma Noses. No one even knows who she is anymore. Uh, uh, Kariman Abulajael makes Saudi history in the 100 meters. Was the seventh of eighth entrance in heat three of the preliminary round. She became the first woman from Saudi Arabia to compete in the Olympic 100 meters. 22-year-old, dressed in a full-body kit and hijab, was unable to qualify, finishing seventh in her preliminary heat. Afghanistan's Kamya Yousafi also raced in a hijab and full body suit, finishing last in her heat at 14 seconds. By the way, if you can run 100 meters in 14 seconds, I will cover you with pudding and consume that pudding off of you in the midday sun. Uh, in London 2012, middle distance runner Sarah Attar was the first female track athlete to run for Saudi Arabia at London 2012. Uh, well done, Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia for having that, um, having women run. Age 19, she wore full clothing and a hijab as she finished last in her 800 meet in London, uh, more than 43 seconds, blah, 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 blah. Attar is due to compete in the women's marathon. Oh, oh she already probably did. That one's over. Uh, and if you saw the German twins running hand in hand uh, in the marathon to finish together, they knew they weren't going to win. They didn't run as high as they wanted. People in Germany got huffy about it and were like, you're not acting like it's sports. You're not being competitive enough. Um, let me hip you to something. The Olympics, as you may have discovered, is a TV show and it's also entertainment. So, yeah, we want everybody to be competitive. But if we can take time out for two seconds to hold hands as we run across the finish line, isn't that a beautiful thing? Monica Puig of Puerto Rico uh, is the first Olympic gold Manner after tennis player has it. Sorry, I've read the sentence completely backwards. Puerto Rico has its first Olympic gold medal after tennis player Monica Puig defeated world number two Angelique Kerber of Germany in the women's singles final. She was ranked 32 places beneath her opponent. Puig dominated the final set with an aggressive display of offensive tennis to round off a deserved 6 3, 4 6, 6 1. Uh, earlier Saturday, uh, Petra Kvitova of the Czech Republic, but Petra Kvitova is a famous professional player. Monica Puig is way down uh, on the list. And it just shows you that anyone, went, anyone can win. Venus and Serena didn't uh, win this time, but awesomely, um, uh, this young lady from Puerto Rico won. She dropped her knees after securing victory after, as fans who chanted, uh, si, si, puede, yes, you can, uh, throughout the match, proudly waved Puerto Rican flags in the crowd. The unlikely triumph meant Puig became the first unseated player to become Olympic champion since tennis was reintroduced at the 88 Olympics in Seoul. Um, by the way, baseball's gone. There's no baseball in the Olympics, but there's golf. <laughs> golf? 
What white guy demanded that they put golf in? I really, really haven't. I mean, yeah, golf's a sport. So is bowling. Any sport where you can eat and smoke while you're playing it is a good sport, in my opinion. Holy cow. Uh, Let's go to the women again. Uh, Olympian Michelle Carter. Her nickname, Clutch. She won the women's shot put with a 67-foot putt. Uh, put. Uh, by the way, what's his name? Robert. God, I can't remember his name last night. The, the seven foot tall dude uh, won the gold medal in, um, for the Americas for America last night in the men's shot put. It was in Michelle Carter's blood to compete at the 2016 Rio Olympics. This one goes out to my San Francisco homies, particularly those of you who remember our awesome 80s, 90s teams with uh, Joe Montana and Steve Young, because you'll remember her dad was Michael Carter. Uh, she made history as the first American woman to win a gold medal. There's a slightly less known story. Michelle followed in her father, Michael Carter's footsteps, um, who took home a silver medal and shot put 30 years prior at the 84 Olympic Games. The father-daughter duo is the first ever team from Team USA to earn medals at the Olympics. Isn't that cool? The first father-daughter duo. I can't wait until I get the medal and can walk around the house and say, Daddy, I got you. Uh, the Carter patriarch, who's his coach's daughter. Uh, who is his coach's daughter? I didn't read that wrong. Who is his daughter's coach? How could he be his coach's daughter? This is one of those riddles. Do I have a pig mask on? Because I feel water on the back of my neck. Uh, made headlines during his heyday as the only athlete ever to win an Olympic medal and a Super Bowl for the Niners within the same year. Oh yeah, the 88 Niners. If the Carter family could get any more impressive, Michael still holds the national high school record from 79 for the shot put. Uh, that is so, so awesome. Brazilian Rafael Silva almost quit judo because of her uh, father-daughter team in their Bay Area. It's all about the city. Now she's an Olympic gold medalist. Residents in Rio, City of uh, God slum. You may remember the movie um, from years ago, The City of God. I believe the lead actress was nominated for the Oscar from that. Uh, the cat who uh, directed the opening ceremony directed City of God. Residents in Rio, City of God slum, are proud of judo champion Rafaela Silva, one of their own. She won Brazil's first Olympic gold medal at this year's Games. Her journey to the Olympic gold started in the slums of Cidade de Du... Uh, you, you probably read Brazilian better, or Portuguese better than I do. Due, a violence-plagued favela in Rio de Janeiro she called home as a child. Uh, and the ultimate accomplishment in a career that's taken several detours, including a brief period where it appeared Silva might quit the sport. She grew up in the villa, nicknamed the City of God, where she could not completely avoid one of Rio's most notorious and crime-ridden areas. Her past was profiled in a recent Sports Illustrated article. She spent the first eight li- years of her life in the City of God, getting into fights with boys and getting expelled from school. But she showed an early aptitude for street soccer and for pipa combate, a kind of aerial martial art in which combatants fly kites from rooftops and try to cut one another's strings. At five, her parents guided her toward judo to give her and her sister structure. Judo has rules, her sister said. The street doesn't. Uh, in 2012, she was disqualified for an illegal hold during the preliminary round. What happened next was far worse. Social media users attacked her with racial epithets, a type of abuse Brazilian police say is becoming more common, especially with high-profile black women according to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I was very sad because I lost the fight, so I walked in my room and I found all those insults on social media. They were criticizing me, calling me monkey, so I got really, really upset and I thought about leaving judo. Her coach, Geraldo Bernardes, was concerned she would quit. Uh, then the family got worried. She got depressed. She took a few months off and then came back. Her resilience paid off. She got a gold. Um, that is so exciting, and we're so happy for her. It's nice to see people who aren't wealthy and go to Yale uh, win gold medals. It's nice to see hometown people uh, from the, the poorest neighborhoods in Rio. And uh, uh, we're going to leave out a bunch of commentary on the Olympics that I was about to say here. White guys have had a real shit week this week, you guys. And I think you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, there's been some douchebaggery of the highest caliber that I am not going to take part in in any way, nor am I going to participate in any... Let's just say the triumph of all these people we've been talking about here is exactly what the Olympics are about, and they're considerable. I will make one last comment off the back of Ms. Silva's story. Gabby, Gabby Douglas didn't do very well in her last um, event uh, on the um, American gymnastics team, and partially it was because she was being hectored so brutally on social media. Um, a columnist in the L.A. paper here, Bill Plaschke, uh, wrote a column about her when she didn't put her hand over her heart and said that she was sulking. Then when she didn't cheer for her teammates, she was called Krabby Gabby. The woman is 20 years old and uh, deserves all respect. She already has gold medals from the last Olympics and gold medals with the team in this Olympics. 
She's a lovely young lady and everyone needs to climb off her ass this instant and apologize to Gabby Douglas. You should be on the ground worshiping her. As many people have pointed out, never mind she didn't put her hand over her heart. She's wearing an American flag on her uniform while she's winning a gold medal for you, you worm. Um, racism is so much fun that we have a racist running for president. So, uh, cutting back to that, uh, let's get into the boring preachy part and then we'll get out of here. But let's see. Donald Trump went to uh, uh, Baton Rouge today, as you know. Uh, Baton Rouge has been suffering terribly uh, with an enormous flood. Um, because it's not in a flood area and it's not near a river, no one expected this. This is part of the uh, what we call climate change. Uh, or if you're a Republican, um, nothing's happening at all. Look the other way. It's okay. Go back to sleep. Um, the capital is Baton Rouge, which means red stick. And uh, they've had to rescue tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands of people lost their home. Uh, people are living in shelters. And this is after uh, what happened with the police in Baton Rouge a couple of months ago. Excuse me, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and everybody's finding that when um, black and white people, when people of different races come together during a crisis, they support and love one another. Um, uh, the white cops who were the uh, transgressors in what happened in Baton Rouge, um, are having to save a lot of the people uh, that normally uh, in a regular week we would be reading a very bad news story about. In any case, what are you getting at, Greg? What I'm getting at is this. Um, Baton Rouge can use your help and your money. It's the biggest climate disaster in the United States since Hurricane Sandy uh, in 2012. Um, it's, it's a terrible punishing blow to the state of Louisiana, which had to endure uh, Bobby Jindal as governor and had their economy ruined and has a sexy new governor. Um, Name Mike Johnson. Anyways, um, Obama hasn't gone there and Hillary Clinton hasn't gone there. Why haven't they gone there? Because New Louisiana's um, uh, infrastructure and Louisiana's support system and their emergency first responders are strained to the very limit of their capacity. There is nothing more they can do. The last thing they need is someone with a secret service uh, entourage and a giant motorcade and, uh, and needing all kinds of protection and help uh, to, to, to seal off highways and to, to provide um, physical protection is an enormous drain on their resources right now. That's why President Obama hasn't gone. That's why Hillary Clinton hasn't gone. She was aware of that. So who would go to Louisiana in the middle of the crisis? Yes, Donald Trump. And he showed up with two inconceivable um well, I don't know how to describe them. Heavily armed guards. This is from a, a publication called The Week. Louisiana's capital city of Baton Rouge has been besieged by flooding. Tens of thousands of residents have been displaced. President Obama has not traveled to the area, nor have the party nominees vying to replace him. That is, until now, Donald Trump and his running mate, Mike Pence, made a surprise visit to Baton Rouge on Friday morning, a fact that fills some of the Trump supporters with finger-pointing glee. Newt Ginrich. It is good Trump and Pence are going to Louisiana to help fellow Americans who are in pain. Sad that Obama can't leave vacation for one. It's not sad. Remember when you closed the government down in the 90s, Newt? That was sad. Remember when you left your wife while she was dying of cancer to go with another woman? That was sad. This is pragmatic, is what it is. This is grown-ups acting like grown-ups. Um, Trump showed up, uh, the Democratic governor of Louisiana, is named John Bell Edwards, um, he had two heavily armed military men. And if you see the pictures, which you will by the time this uh, drops on Monday, um, they're wearing full military gear with helmets and automatic weapons. Why would you show up in a state that's had so much turmoil? Why would you show up in a state where when Katrina hit, the National Guard and the police were shooting the residents of Louisiana? Where would you show, why would you show up in a place where there was a black diaspora of hundreds of thousands of people? Why would you show up in a slave state? Why would you show up in a place where there was recently massive riots and violence between the police and black people and, and have these guards with you? It's not for your personal protection. This is is white male ego and privilege and intimidation is what it is. And it's unseemly, it's icky, and it's gross. And uh, I wish I could have thought of a better word than wick icky. Donald Trump hasn't called to inform the governor of his visit. A spokesman for Bell Edwards office said, we welcome him in Louisiana, but not for a photo op. Instead, we'll hope he'll consider volunteering or making a sizable donation to the Louisiana Flood Relief Fund to help victims of the storm. Wouldn't it have been nice if he'd written a check like he always says he's doing for veterans and all these great charities that don't exist that he pretends to give money to? Instead of showing up, there's a picture of him wearing one of his baseball hats. Yes, he handed out Make America great caps down there and uh and kiss some white people it, it's just too much it's really 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 uh the living bloody end 
Um, this is a week after um, we had um, Mr. Manafort, uh, who had been taking so, somewhere in the neighborhood of close to $13 million in cash from the Ukrainians, not verified. Uh, the FBI is, uh, who is it at the FBI? The feds, right? Uh, investigating Mr. Manafort. Now, he was Trump's campaign manager after he fired Corey uh, Lewandowski, And then he's resigned today uh, after they'd already brought in the guy from Breitbart News, Mr. Bannon. You all right? Mr. Bannon, um, Breitbart News, by the way, is a, um, I don't know how to describe it, uh, what we used to call in the olden days, yellow journalism. Um, very, 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 very right-wing and white supremacist oriented as befits this campaign. Mr. Manafort has left. This is what we call a pivot in Trump world. In anyone else's world, it would be called called um, dumping one corrupt um, racist person for another. Do you always have to characterize him as racist? What about the people who like him? Well, they're going to have to deal with that in their own special conscience way. Uh, let's get to some groovy, groovy things, and then we'll move along. I'm going to talk about police brutality. I haven't forgotten about it. Um, we've just run out of time on every show, but isn't it something you should really get to? It is, but I want to give it a proper amount of time. I'll be uh, in Tacoma this week at the Tacoma Comedy Club um, from Thursday through Saturday. Uh, the podcast will be on Thursday, and then Sunday will be in Spokane. It will not be a podcast in Spokane. It will be a, a stand-up show, but we're uh, sure to give it a good airing up there in the state of Washington. Bobby Hutcherson is 75 years old. He's swirling in the heavens tonight. A vibraphonist, and uh, this is what Jazz Wax, that brilliant uh, website by Mark Myers, uh, says about Bobby Hutcherson. Swinging, ringing, modal approach on the vibraphone not only revolutionized the instrument's role and personality, but captured the angst of the tumultuous 60s and early 70s, is swirling in the heavens, 75. Of all the jazz musicians who recorded important albums in the 60s, Hutcherson and Wayne Shorter perfectly illustrated the era's growing frustration and confusion, particularly among African Americans. During this period, the musical landscape tilted in favor of youthful pop, leaving many young jazz artists culturally disenfranchised. In this regard, Hutcherson's early leadership albums embodied the feeling of suspended animation, philosophical thought, uncertainty, and protest. His first leadership album to address the decade's highly charged ethos was Components, particularly the title track and Little Bee's poem, an original waltz that is achingly poignant in its gentle articulation. Um, the jam we're playing right now is... Uh, 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 it's called Head Start, and it's off the album... Happenings. If you've never dug the vibes, give it a listen. Heavy on the vibes today. Really haven't been into a vibe bag like that. Uh, there's no replacing Bobby Hutcherson, uh, and he will live forever in a magic wonderland. He was a beautiful human being, as well as a superb musician and by the way he played on a million albums this is just uh, one of his solo albums but he played for everyone else uh, in jazz here let's see I'm looking for Pete Fountain's obit there it is uh, Pete Fountain uh, was a saxophone player uh, no tragedy in Pete Fountain's uh, demise uh, Pete Fountain was um, 225 years old no, if you've ever been to New Orleans, uh, and if you know what it means to miss New Orleans, um, Pete Fountain had uh, several com uh, comedy, jazz, boy, my brain has one track. Uh, he's not under Pete Fountain. He had several jazz clubs uh, in uh, New Orleans over the years. And uh, this is what Pete Fountain sounds like. This is the real fantastic, uh, this is Basin Street Blues, real. Right? New Orleans. Uh, there was no better player of a woodwind instrument than Pete Fountain. Um, born in 1930 with the brilliant a Louisiana name of Pierre Dewey LaFontaine Jr. He was one of the greatest ambassadors of the city New Orleans ever had and one of the most successful clarinetists in music history. Some stars are loud and boisterous. Others are quiet and methodical. When it came to Pete Fountain, his clarinet spoke louder than he ever did. Uh, sickly with weak lungs, he started playing clarinet at the age of nine. The rest is history. Uh, he was on The Tonight Show 60 times. He played for the Pope. He also performed at the uh, halftime show at two Super Bowls in 78 and 90. 
He started a group called the Half Fast Walking Club. Follow? The Half Fast Walking Club. They would wear green tuxedos or red ones or gold ones, and they would walk through the streets of New Orleans. He missed it last, this year for the first time because he wasn't in good health uh, for the first time in a million years. He made a hundred albums. In 1950, he founded the Basin Seat Six, and uh, for years, four years later, he was in the Lawrence Welk Orchestra. Uh, Lawrence Welk was a, a very white, anodyne, um, white bread big band leader who had an enormously successful career that lasted 30 some odd years, a television show that my parents really enjoyed, and and was from North Dakota and did a fake Norwegian accent, which was brilliant. Lawrence Welk would go, oh, thank you very much. It's wonderful, wonderful. And now here's Pete Fong to play something beautiful. Here's Basin Street Bulls on the clarinet. Like that. Like, Why do you talk that way? Um, he opened up a club on Bourbon Street in the 60s, and uh, he called it, uh, 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 Frank Sinatra used to come and hang. Um, his group then was called the, D- the Dukes of Dixieland. Um, Pete Fountain's Jazz Club would take up residence at the Riverside Hill in New Orleans, and then he moved it to Casino Magic uh, in 2003. When we were there, uh, Jennifer and I, in the 90s, it was at the Riverside Hilton. Um, Katrina destroyed Pete's home in Bay St. Louis, uh, including much of his men- memorabilia, uh, but he carried on, man. And uh, there's no replacing Pete Fountain either, because this is the classic sound of uh, New Orleans jazz. Right? Uh, he is um, the living end. I remember when I was little and uh, I was watching The Tonight Show and one of his million appearances and he had a bald head and uh, he, Johnny loved jazz, Johnny Carson. So he plays um, his number and then uh, Johnny goes, oh, Pete Fountain, Pete Fountain, one more time. Uh, well, terrific. Thanks, Pete. And Pete Fountain took his hat off and he'd written thanks on his head. <laughs> <laughs> Marnie Nixon. Uh, we haven't got to her, Port Angel. Marnie Nixon uh, is famous for singing other people's parts in movies. Deborah Kerr and uh, The King and I, the movie. Um, and famously, Natalie Wood in West Side Story. Uh, she sings all of Maria's songs. And uh, awesomely, Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Um, she, of course, had her own career and uh, wrote a book about it and uh, performed on Broadway as well and played the uh, lead part in My Fair Lady. Her singing was so beautiful and her impressions of these women, she sings in the voice of Audrey Hepburn, she sings in the voice of Deborah Kerr, and she sings in the voice of Natalie Wood. Let's just hear. Began to dance with me. Uh, Marnie Nixon uh, is um, making all of the angels sing right now. Uh, finally, she gets the credit she deserves. Uh, everybody uh, knew that Audrey Hepburn didn't sing her part in the movie, whereas Julie Andrews had originated the part on the West End in London. Um, but Marnie Nixon was a rare, uh, rare talented singer, and uh, she'll be oh, learner and low. I love this musical. Um, I'm not gay. And yes, I'm singing along to My Fair Lady. And the line, I only know that he, when only began to dance, dance with me. I could have danced, danced all night. Um, we're going to get to all the heavy topics in another episode of this one. We're going to take it all up in Tacoma. Come and join me there and come and join me on the road. The Who's Line guys will be uh, on the road for all of September, October, and into November. And we'll be playing all over the United States, in the Midwest and the West Coast and everywhere. So come and visit us. That's at whoslivenyway.com. Go to gregproops.com and you can see where I'm playing. We'll be in New York uh, on Thanksgiving and like that and uh, traveling the world, uh, hopefully in London and Paris uh, in December. We're getting that sorted out and jazz like that. I wish you nothing but love. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Let's fly on the wings of Marnie Nixon. Good night, everyone. <laughs>